Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Uh, in today's episode, first, it's going to be all basketball today, all NBA. Uh, and first, we are going to get to the bright side of Steph Curry's injury. Yes, I think... There is, this is a, you know, I think it's a negative for the Warriors organization, but I think there are multiple good things to take away from this injury. Uh, and then the next thing I want to get to is load management in the NBA. What is my take on it? I have a lot of stuff I want to get to. Not just my take. But what are some causes of load manage- management? What are some ways the NBA can fix this? What do I think about it? I've got, I've got a lot to get to on load management. Then I want to get to the Celtics' uh, past few games. So, also, uh, hopefully this episode gets back on track. These past few episodes have kind of flopped. Uh, they haven't done very well, so hopefully this one gets a lot of listens. Uh, but yeah, anyway, first we're going to get to the bright side of Seth Curry's injury, so let's get to that. Okay, I know I'm a little late here. I was thinking about this. I was talking about this bright side of Seth Curry's injury five days ago, maybe, but I decided, you know what, I want to talk about it on the podcast as well, because why not? And I think I have a lot of points, and valid points as well. And obviously, this is a negative for the Warriors organization. And I don't root for injuries, especially with a guy like Curry. Uh, but I think there is a lot of uh, positive to take away from this injury, which sounds weird. But let me get to first reason. Give your, go- give your young guys more touches and help their development. Uh, believe it or not, you got fifth now. This isn't what you should believe. Uh, there are 15 roster spots on every for every NBA team. Believe it or not, on the Warriors roster, eight of their 15 players, over 50%, are at either 25 years of age or younger. Yes. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. You wouldn't have thought of it uh, like that, but it is true. Uh, if I'm going to pull up their depth chart right now. I should have had this ready. That is my bad. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, when you think of these players, you're just like, I can't name a lot of them. Outside of D'Angelo Russell, none of them have star potential. So it's just like, yeah, this may help D'Angelo Russell a little bit, but, like, who you know, who else do they have? So they've got D'Angelo Russell, Glenn Robinson, uh, Kai Bowman, uh, Eric Pascal, Kevon Looney, Jacob Evans, uh, Jordan Poole, I didn't name him yet, and... Their uh, final player that is um, t- 25 years of age or younger would be Amari Spellman. I'm pretty sure I named one of them twice because I believe I forgot to uh, name Marquise Chris. Okay, yeah. I named somebody twice in there. But anyway, out of those players that I just listed, oh, yeah, Eric Pascal. How could I miss him? I named somebody twice. I think I might have named, um, I don't know. I don't know who I named twice. <laughs> Well, anyway, D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Poole, Glenn Robinson, Kai Bowman, Eric Pascal, Kevon Looney, Jacob Evans. I didn't name him yet, right? Yeah, and Marquise Chris. Those are their eight players. There we go. Are there nine now? Did I name him Mari Spellman? Maybe there's nine. I, I, eight or nine, okay. It's, it's eight or nine. Moving on, that was way too complicated. Uh, any, anyway, geez. the Warriors right now, this is just one. I mean, yeah, outside of D'Angelo Russell, none of them star potential. I don't even think Eric Pascal. He's been great, but I don't think he has star potential. 
But a lot of these guys could be good role players for this team. So with more touches, they can become better players. You know, maybe a lot of these guys like Jacob Evans may not even be, you know, a rotational guy or Kai Bowman, guys like that. So this is going to help them at least become a rotational guy and then they can become a decent role player quicker and they'll become they'll become a better player quicker and they'll they'll their ceiling is a little higher now for all those guys. They're going to get m- much more touches at this point. So I think that's one that I wanted to get to. Um, and also, this is going to help their trade value uh, if they want to unload. I'd assume that the Warriors at the deadline, I mean, they have potentially nine young guys. This team's probably going to be pretty good next year. So if they want to unload on one of these young guys, like, for example, D'Lo, if they really do want to go out and trade D'Angelo Russell, Without Steph Curry, that's going to give him more touches. That's going to help his trade value. Uh, and even if they decide, um, let's see, maybe they decide Jacob Evans. Maybe he has a few. I don't know. Amari Spellman's a good one because Evans really hasn't done anything. He's been hurt. But Spellman, he doesn't have much trade value. Maybe he goes on a little bit of a run, you know, eight games. He has a solid eight-game stretch towards the, the deadline. They say, I think, you know, maybe he's just on a little hot streak. I don't know. But really only the one that I can see that would have some real significant trade values, D'Angelo Russell. I could also say Kavon Looney, Eric Pascal, Jordan Poole, maybe even Glenn Robinson maybe for a second or two. But those guys I feel like they're going to keep, especially Jordan Poole and Kavon Looney and Eric Pascal. I could see them maybe moving Robinson. But that's besides the point. Moving on. Number two, face reality. This team finally gets to face reality. I'll just say what I wrote. These past five years for the Warriors organization, excuse me, organization and fans has been an absolute fantasy. Now the team can face reality. Although it may be tough and it's been a very harsh transition, the fans in the organization need to realize that they're no longer the powerhouse they used to be. It's fair game once again, and there's no longer and they're no longer at the top of the totem pole. Yes, even with Steph Curry, I am aware they weren't the best in the West or anything like that, but they can feel the bitterness of losing now and get this tough transition over and done with right now. So I, the next point I'm going to get to is going to be kind of similar to face reality, but this team, for the, again, as I said, for the past five years, they have been an absolute powerhouse. The league has been for the Golden State Warriors. They were on tier A all by themselves. Just like Steph Curry, you know, he's on tier A for point guards, just all by himself. But they finally get to face the reality of it. It's fair game now. They're no longer at the top of the totem pole. They no longer run the NBA. It is fair game. So for the Warriors, for the fans, the organization, for the players, like Steph Curry, which is kind of the next one I'm going to get to. But, like, for Steve Curry, he's got to realize he's got to really start coaching now. Before he, I mean... He's never really had to make very tough decisions. It was just, I have a ton of talent, and every once in a while, I might have to make a decision here and there, but he had one of the easiest coaching gigs of all time. Now he's actually got to kind of coach here. I could probably go and coach that Warriors team and win a title in those five years because, I, I don't know, I think, you know, Steve Kerr definitely plays a role in it. I think with me instead of Steve Kerr, they probably lose a title. But even with me at head coach, that team had so much talent, they're going to at least win one title in the last five years. It's pretty impressive to think about. <laughs> but, I mean, you just, you know, I don't want to say a monkey could run that team. But anyway, just not even just Steve Kerr, just the fans as well. Those fans have been just 
babied for the past five years. Like, they had everything, and now it, they, they're going to feel losing. It's going to be a bitter year, so they're going to have to face reality. Next point kind of goes along with face reality. Takes pressure off Steph to hold up the dynasty. You'll see why. It doesn't really sound too similar, but I'll read what I wrote. KD is gone. Iggy is gone. Clay is very, is very likely done for the season. It almost felt... I, I spelled almost wrong. I'll just fix that. It almost felt like all the weight was on Curry's shoulders to keep Golden State's dynasty going. And now that he's out and there's nothing he can do about it. The pressure is off his shoulders for a while and he can sit back, watch, and realize the dynasty's over. There's no weight to carry. Just building blocks to put back in place. This almost falls under the face. Yeah, as I said. Okay. So the reason it does is, again, because now Curry is sitting out and he can realize this this team's no longer a dynasty. With Curry, it felt like all the weight was on his shoulders to kind of hold it up uh, while Klay Thompson was out. Uh, you know, everyone thinks Iggy's coming back. I don't think that's a guarantee because things change. I do think if I had to bet on it, it sounds like he's coming back. But, you know, so like Steph Curry, you've got to hold that up for one year and keep it going before we get, you know, then next year, you know, because it felt like almost like this. This was people's perception. Okay. Curry, it's up to you. This is your team. You know, we don't, no more KD, no more Iggy. Clay's done for the year. It's up to you to carry this dynasty for one more year before we get Clay back, before maybe we sign a free agent, before we make a trade to, to really contend against. You just got to keep it going for one more year. And that's a lot of pressure on one player. Especially with that team. I mean, I had high hopes for the Warriors, but it was clear after those first few games, they weren't who I thought they were. And they were really just a average team. Maybe a little over. Again, it's it, they looked like an average team, at least in those games they played. Great offense, bad defense. But it really does take a lot of pressure off of him. That that could even there's mental health, like anxiety. Like that could take a lot off him too, because maybe that Maybe he had some anxiety. I don't think. I'm just saying maybe because it's a lot of pressure. Uh, third, uh, my fourth. This is my fourth point. A great. This is a great excuse to trim Draymond Green's minutes. I wrote, Green may only be 29 years old, and he's still a great and underappreciated player in this league. But Green is starting to hit the decline, slowly but surely. The Warrior season is now basically a lost cause, which gives the team a great excuse to trim down his minutes, give him some rest days, and salvage his talent and durability for future seasons. It's going to pay off next year, the year after that, when Draymond is still able to play at an elite level. I think even if he had to play this season, he'd be an elite player. But I think it's going to lead to him being a little better this season and next season and the season after that. We saw him get banged up. I, you just don't want to see that. I, I think like, Draymond suffered some injuries in the past. Not a ton. Not long-term. Just short-term injuries. And you don't hope, you know, you hope those don't pile up into something that ends the season next year, if you get what I mean. So, I mean, yeah, Draymond's only 29, but everyone knows he's starting to decline already. So, this season you can trim some of his minutes, maybe give him a few load management days, which we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, and... It, it's it's an excuse to do so. Your team's not contending anymore, so you can do that, and I think it'll lead to him playing better next year, the year after that, and it'll help also avoid some you know ACL injury or something like that, less wear and tear. The last point I want to get to, you can now completely tank and get a high draft pick rather than being stuck in the middle. Again, I wrote this five days ago. Uh, I don't know why I just mentioned that, but I did, okay? Just in case you wanted to know. I wrote, with Curry, the Warriors are a playoff team that probably goes a round or two. 
I had them going to the Western Conference Finals, but that was due to an easy road, and they clearly weren't the team I thought they were before the season started. Now with Curry, instead of getting some mid-to-late draft pick, you can completely tank and get a lottery pick with favorable odds included. I know the new lottery system gives no guarantees, but if the Warriors do bad enough, I really wish upon and really wish upon their lucky stars they could land a top pick and maybe get a player like James Wiseman to set yourself up set yourself up for the future. We obviously had the James Wiseman debacle, which I would have got to, but then they unsuspended him or something. Um, so I didn't get to that. Maybe, maybe like next episode if something else pops up on the story. But I wanted to get to this. I had my slate ready. But anyway, they don't necessarily have to tank. Not that sounds tank isn't doesn't really sound like the right word, but they can. I I don't know. They can. I guess you could say not tank because I don't think they are going to. They still have that winning spirit, but they're going to be bad enough where even if they try, they're probably going to miss the playoffs and they'll still get a lottery pick. And this is a team that, despite having eight or nine, I don't even know which one, eight or nine young players, none of them really have star potential outside D'Angelo Russell. And a few of them have potential to be solid role players. All the rest may be rotational guys, maybe. So they, you know, although they have all these young players, some of them aren't really that great. Get a guy like James Wiseman. Their centers right now are Willie Cauley-Stein and Kevon Looney. Looney's an underrated young player, but he'll be nothing more than an under-average starter, in my opinion. And Willie Cauley-Stein is just a hold-up-the-fort guy. He's, out, he's like a mediocre center, mediocre starting center. So... Willie Cauley-Stein, he's 26 years old right now. I don't think he's the answer to your future. Kavon Looney could be a, you know, in a few years, he could be, a, you know, again, slightly under-average starting center at best. But is that what you're looking for? James Wiseman is a potential to be one of the best centers in the league. I say you get him because they're going to have Curry, Clay, Dream Draymond. Maybe they add Robert Covington or some sort of trade. I don't know. But it doesn't really – it feels like they have some sort of potential – at the one through four spot, but it feels like the center, they still have some sort of hole. Some people have told me, yeah, they've won championships with Zaza Pachulia. I think Kevon Looney and Willie Colley signs fine. You don't need to worry about, you know, getting a James Wiseman. I'm just saying James Wiseman was the name I threw out there. I don't think you're going to go for a guard. You'll clay D'Lo, Curry. I think they'll either go for some sort of wing or a center. So those are my uh, reasons why, Seth Curry's injury is actually, there's some positive to take out of it, Warriors fans. This year's going to be a grind. Just get through this year. The offseason's going to be a fun time for the Warriors. The trade deadline might get a little interesting this season. The draft. The Warriors, this is going to be a tough year, tough transition, but there is positive to take out of this. So now I'm going to get to my take. Everything you need to know on load management in the NBA. So let's get to that. I've got a lot that I want to get to when it comes to load management. Load management has, has become the one of the NBA's hottest terms in the past week or so. Uh, and first, I want to start off with my definition of load management. My definition is, in case you don't know, it's basically a fancy and longer way of saying rest. In sports, specifically in the NBA, which is what we're going to focus on today, it's a quote-unquote strategy to sit healthy players and to, to rest them and make sure they're healthier and less fatigued come playoff time. Uh, one player that really uh, comes to mind when you think of load management is Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he's really the one that's been really using this load management strategy. Uh, that's my short definition of the term anyway. 
Load management was never a thing in the NBA until around 2016. But fun fact, the first time it happened was actually in 2012. It's It really started when Spurs head coach Greg Popovich. It start, really started with Spurs head coach Greg Popovich. The first time he implemented this unique strategy was back in 2012 season during a nationally televised game when he sat four of his best players. The Spurs did lose the game, but went on to win the title that season. He started sitting healthy players to rest them, and then we got the term load management. When this strategy was put first put in place, some people were angry, but for the most part, not many people paid too close of attention to it. Plus, he didn't do it very often. Kawhi sat a total of eight games all year in the 2016-27 season when the Spurs had already locked in in that season, the Spurs had already locked up a playoff spot and knew they were one of the best teams in the league. The team finished, uh, I spelled finished wrong. Well, I just did a little space. Whoops. Finished second in the West with 61 wins. Not to mention he didn't sit them during primetime games either. Some people were disgruntled at this idea, but most people either didn't care or deemed coach pop smart for this new strategy. That is just a little rundown of how this originated. Because some people are like, yeah, this started with Kawhi Leonard. Sort of, because he was one of those first players to be sat in the load management strategy. Greg Popovich is the one that we should circle back to. Started this in 2012. Did it here and there a little bit. Just a few games every year, usually later down the stretch when the Spurs had already locked up one of the top spots in the West. Makes sense. Then Kawhi Leonard... Carried it over to Toronto. He starts sitting 22 games. I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute. Ready? Kawhi Leonard is the first player. Many people. I just said this. Uh, so I don't even need to read that. This is. I wrote an article on this. And I don't need to read it because I just told you that. Um, I, fun fact. I'll just read. I can read the second part. Kawhi Leonard hasn't played it back-to-back since 2017. Clearly, it's paying off. Kawhi led the Raptors to a championship and has arguably made himself the league's top player. Let's take a deeper look into this matter. Uh, I want to get to some important quotes here uh, from some superstars. This will just be quick. Uh, first one I'll get to is James Harden. If I'm hurt, of course I won't play. Even if I'm a little banged up, I tried to push through it to a certain extent. Have you ever seen me not play because of load management? Uh, and then Michael Jordan said to Steve Clifford back when Clifford coached for MJ's team, you're paid to play 82 games. Good point. LeBron also said, if I'm hurt, I don't play. If not, I'm playing. That's what my, that's always been my motto. I probably got a good 45 years to not play basketball. That was a weird quote. He worded that weirdly. I want to get to LeBron in a minute because he has a unique way. I'm pretty sure he's taken a few load management games in the past, so I'm a little sketched back when he was in Cleveland, Miami. I'm pretty sure he took a few load management days, so I'm not sure how much I can read into that. Also, he has a way of load management that's not sitting out games. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Uh, and Kobe also said, it, you know, it's you have to be strong enough to be in shape to play 82 games, be able to perform every single night. Kobe was a big-time competitor. So, uh, anyway, that those are just a few quotes to keep in mind. But, again, there's bias there. Those are four players that – some of the all-time greats. So, they kind of look at it as like, oh, we've never looked into low management. This is a great chance to kind of call out Kawhi Leonard – and help our reputation a little bit. Like, we haven't sat out these games. We're not weak. They're basically calling out Kawhi as a weak player. And some people have lost respect for him, uh, for him, for this matter. 
Uh, first thing I want to get to is AAU basketball and its effect. Uh, believe it or not, I think AAU basketball is really the main source of this whole thing, believe it or not. And I can't credit myself for thinking about this. I actually have to credit a quote from Earl Watson, former Phoenix Suns head coach. He tweeted this a few days ago. Load management isn't the toll of the NBA schedule. It's the toll of youth travel basketball playing 12 to 15 games a weekend to keep its monthly fees validated. That hurts the players later in life and rookies that are entering the NBA hurting. Youth hoops needs less games and more teaching. Wow. I was when I saw this quote, my perspective on load management complete uh, it's a uh, cause completely turned for the past Almost year, I've been blaming it on the NBA schedule. It's too long. And I still think that's the number one solution. I'll get to why in a minute. Here's what I also have to say. This is Again, this is a very interesting quote from Earl Watson, and it really changed my perspective on the situation. I do think the length of the schedule is a little too long, but he does bring up a point. Before AAU hoops became so popular and time-consuming, less injuries were occurring, and no one was complaining about the length of the schedule. The problem with this is, there's nothing the NBA can do about it. The NBA is not so associated with AAU hoops, and AAU basketball is thriving at the moment, and I doubt they have any plans anytime soon on reducing the amount of games played during the weekends. My take on it, I think that's a very valid point. Uh, I do think AAU hoops, if they you know limited the amount of games per weekend, I think 12 to 15 is a big-time stretch. I know some AAU teams, you know, if they play in like, one or two tournaments a year, they play that many games a weekend. For the most part, it's, I think, four or five games um, for AU, so that's a bit of a stretch. But uh, still, you got his point. It's a lot of games. And I think he brings up a great point, and I agree with it. I've always thought it's the, the length of the NBA schedule. But since the NBA can't change what AU hoops AAU basketball is doing, and AAU basketball is not going to change what they're doing because they are thriving at the moment, the NBA is just going to have to deal with it and change the schedule. There's also one other idea I have, but I think it's flawed. I'll get to that in a minute, too. I know I'm leaving a lot of things on the table. Uh, uh, here's another thing I want to get to. LeBron's way of load management. When we think of load management with players like Kawhi, we think of sitting out games, specifically the second of a game of a back-to-back, -back, which is what uh, Kawhi always sits out in. Usually it's either the first or the second, most of the time it's the second. But here's how LeBron does it. LeBron will take a game off every once in a while. Well, at least from what I remember. I spelled remember wrong. All right, there we go. But for the most part, LeBron has a different way of load managing. He plays in the games. He just slacks off in some of them. He just, just slacks. I spelled just twice. Okay, I was clearly rushing through this. He just slacks off in some of them, like meaningless January games against some mediocre teams. I doubt every player gives 100% 100% of the time, but LeBron tends to not give 100% in a lot of games, and he might only turn it up in a tight fourth quarter or for a few minutes each game. That's just LeBron's way. Yeah, I go out there, and for the most part over his career, he's only load-managed, I think, a few games Kawhi's way, but... He'll go out there and say, yeah, I play every game. Doesn't mean I give 100% every game. There are some games where he goes out and drops 18 points, which is still a decent amount, but he barely even tries. He'll turn it on for a few minutes. You know, he'll play like 33 minutes and maybe give good effort eight, eight, seven, eight minutes of it, maybe. Like, that's just his way. He slacks off, doesn't play much defense, mostly just passes up uh, opportunities, mostly just takes three balls, doesn't use a lot of energy. That's his way of doing it. Yeah, I'm not sitting out these games, but it doesn't mean I'm giving 100% every single night. 
uh, potential solutions for the league. The first one, solution one, and the best solution, shorten the schedule. I know. After reading the AAU quote, I said I believe the length of the schedule wasn't really the problem. It was clearly too long, but it's only become too long ever since AAU started burning out its players. Back in the day when AAU wasn't so popular, there were less games played, and there were less games played. The NBA's 82-game schedule wasn't too lengthy for anybody. Wasn't lengthy at all. Number one, two. I'll delete that. Wasn't lengthy for anybody. But as I said, the NBA can't change how many games AAU players play in. And I know for a fact that AAU has no plans in shortening the amount of games they play. And the NBA is just going to have to deal with it. And the best solution, in my opinion, would be shortening the amount of games to 70 to 75 games in the regular season, opposed to the 82 we have now, meaning you trim the schedule down by about 12, 7 to 12 games. This would basically eliminate back-to-backs, for the most part, there'd still be a few. Uh, and each team would really only have about one or two all season, maybe a bit more than that, but still, very little. Remember, Players like Kawhi that use load management only use it on back-to-backs. So a shortened schedule basically eliminates back-to-backs, which basically eliminates load management, in Kawhi's way at least. It would also lead to less players and less fatigued players come play less injured players and less fatigued players come playoff time. I've all I've been all in on this idea for a while now. I just I think it's a great idea. Also for LeBron, he's gonna have more energy to give his all more games, and he's really only gonna have to use his way of load management for a few times. You know, he, he, you know, you get rid of seven to twelve games. Kawhi sat out twenty two games with the Raptors. That means you sh- he's only gonna sit out you know ten to twelve maybe something like that. That's not bad at all. Not bad at all. I think eighty two games at this point it's too long because of AAU. AAU has made the NBA schedule too long. That that's what I think. Before again, before AAU was so time consuming and it was burning out its players and it was so popular, the 82 game schedule was not a problem at all. That that's why I look at it at least. Solution 2 is limit players to X amount of load management days. I'll say this. Solution 1 is way better. And this solution is very, very flawed. Colin thinks this is a good idea, but I was just like, no, it's useless. It's not bad, it's just useless. Let me explain why this idea is so flawed. And I threw it in there because I feel like it's something the NBA might throw in there, and it's an idea that I, you know, maybe some people would think about. Teams can claim that a player's injured when he's really not. Like the Clippers did when they claimed Kawhi had a knee injury a few days ago when everyone knew he didn't. Obviously the Clippers did it didn't end up did end up getting fined for this, but that was only because head coach Doc Rivers made the boneheaded decision to say he feels great. When all we all knew Kawhi wasn't really hurt, and we can all take a wild guess that the NBA knew he wasn't hurt either, but there's nothing they can do about it. The Clippers claim that he was injured. They just can't say no to that. They can't say, no, he's not hurt. They said he's hurt. There's just nothing they can They can't say he's not. Teams will just continue to do this. This rule won't hurt the NBA, but it certainly won't help either, in my opinion. Obviously, this rule, you know, I feel like if they say, yeah, each player can take off six days throughout the season. The Clippers are probably going to say, you know, every once in a while, instead of putting him on the injury report, they'll be like, yeah, we're going to take one of his load management days because it's clear he's not, you know, it's just too obvious that, oh, he just gets hurt every time they have a back-to-back. No. So he's going to take some load management days here and there. 
But for the most part, they're just going to keep using that injury excuse. Yes, they're going to probably use all six of his load management days. And then for the ones that they don't use his load management days, he's either going to be playing or they're going to say he has an injury. That's just what they're going to do. This doesn't stop anything. Does it hurt? No, but it's just a useless rule put in place that no one's going to use. It's not going to limit the amount of load management days because Kawhi's going to use all six of these days. And then let's say, you know, let's say he sits out 22 games again. So 22 minus six is, um, uh, excuse me, 22 minus six is 16. Why, why couldn't I do that? I just wanted to make sure that's a weird number. 22 minus six. Um, yeah, the, geez, I'm in algebra. I'm in honors math. I should know this, but, um, I just think this is just useless. Like, so again, 22 minus six, that's 16. So for those 16 remaining games, they're just going to say he's hurt. That, that it's, just, it's just as simple as that. This rule, they can put it in place. If the NBA can do and put it in place. They can do this. But it's not going to do anything. They're just going to say he's hurt for the rest of the time, if that makes any sense. I feel like I've reiterated that enough. Uh, the last thing I want to get before I get to my take on it, unfortunately, especially for those people who are against it, it works. As I said earlier, for the, the first time, load management was introduced back in 2012 when head coach Greg Popovich sat four of his best players in a regular season game. The Spurs went on to win their first title that season. Let me just put a comment there. Sorry. Last season, Kawhi missed 22 games, almost all of them for load management. Kawhi went on to have one of the greatest playoff performances of all time and beat one of the greatest dynasties in sports history in the NBA Finals. History tells us load management works. The strategy is a valid one, and it helps teams and players come playoff time. It's a good and useful strategy. The unfortunate side of this is we want to see players play as much as possible. Personally, I'm okay with load management, and I'll explain why in a minute. But still, history shows this works. So as long as the NBA keeps 82 60-minute games, this strategy is only going to be implemented by more and more organizations because history tells us this strategy works. I keep saying this. People are against load management. Every team, you know, Greg Popovich uses it. They win the NBA Finals. The Raptors, who no one thought were going to win the Finals, sit Kawhi for 22 games. They still grab one of the top seeds in the East. Go on. Kawhi goes on to have one of the most historic playoff runs of all time. Single hair. I mean, he had help from Raptors, but he really carried them. It'd be one. I know injuries for the Warriors. I mean, that's another thing. The Warriors didn't load manage players, and look, they got. They all ended up getting hurt. So Kawhi, it's worked. Every team that uses load management ends up having success come playoff time, especially you know the bigger teams like when the Spurs did it, and now the Raptors did it with Kawhi. And now the Clippers, they're a title favorite, and. They're only getting heavier because they're going to be more. They're going to be fresher come playoff time. And PG, he may be banged up right now, but he's getting, you know, eight to ten games off already. He's going to be back either Wednesday against the Rockets or Thursday against the Pelicans. Today is Saturday, so he's going to get a good ten games off to start the season. He's going to be fresh coming in too. Uh, here's my take on load management. Personally, I'm okay with load management as long as players don't sit out of national televised games, nationally televised games, and they don't abuse load management by sitting their players more than around 20 times, give or take. Kawhi sits out 22. I think that was okay. Give or take 20, like a little over 20. So I think Kawhi last season was basically at the max. Maybe a little bit more. 
Maybe that sounds crazy to some people, but as I said, history shows us the strategy works, and I don't want to see injured stars come playoff time or fatigued players not being able to play to their best capabilities. If the NBA shortens the amount of games played in the regular season, the and load management should be on the verge of extinction, and I'll start really cracking down on load management. But until then, I actually think it's a good idea for teams, as long as they don't abuse it or sit out players during nationally televised games. The nationally televised games, the Stars should play. And yeah, it seems like the Clippers say, well, we have a back-to-back. You don't have back-to-back national televised games. If you do, maybe we can make an exception. Maybe. But it's very, very rare that you have back-to-back nationally televised games. If you have a back-to-back and one of them is a nationally televised game, sit them for the one that's not nationally televised. Okay? Plan for this. Know it's coming. And if you say, well, that's an important game too. If they're important games, you wouldn't sit your star. Okay? So, national televised games, they don't just throw out two bad teams for national televised games. Odds are that's a pretty big game too. So, I don't want to hear that either. So, that's my take. As long as they don't abuse it and it's not nationally televised game, go ahead. Go ahead. I think it's a good strategy. That is my take on load management. Maybe some of you disagree. That's okay. That's what sports are about. Disagreeing. It's okay. But anyway, now I want to get to the Celtics past few games. So let's get to that. Okay, so it's been two games since we last checked up on the Celtics. I want to get to them because they've been two games against not great teams. But there's a lot of takeaways, especially for Gordon Hayward. You had Kemba's return. So I want to get to that. Celtics right now sitting pretty at the top of the East at 6-1. and one. Do I think they'll be first in the East when the season's over? No, but you're doing good so far. First, we'll start that Cleveland game. Player of the game for you, no doubt, was Gordon Hayward. 39 points, ties his regular season career high. He was great. He was phenomenal. And Cleveland's a, you know, I don't want to say special place, but that's a meaningful place to him. Not only is Cleveland having trade interest for Gordon Hayward, but that's where he broke his leg. He's getting revenge. Yeah, 34 minutes, 39 points. He also had eight assists, seven rebounds, shot 85% from the field, and made every single shot within the arc. He was great. He's hitting a ton of mid-range shots, too. He looked very aggressive. He picked it. He kept, uh, he kept, uh, took off where he left off uh, within Charlotte game. We're going to get to that after. Uh, Kemba wasn't bad in this game, either. He's hitting big shots. Carson Edwards, boy, he can shoot the ball. Uh, but in this game, I mean... He shot 57% from the field on 85 shots. They took 95 shots, only made 40. So you were very efficient in this game from three. You hit 40% on 12 shots, 12 made threes. They didn't shoot much worse than you. They made one more three on three more shots. You both, two teams that were hot from three and both shot pretty efficiently as well. Uh, They got to the free throw on 22 times though. That's not a huge amount, but it's a decent amount. They made 20. You only got to the free throw on 15 times and made 11. Uh, they kind of they had 11 offensive rebounds. You all rebounded them, but they had 11 offensive boards. A lot of those from like Tristan Thompson. He's pretty good. But overall, you had a good game. Um, I will say, the third quarter they only outscored you by three points. But late in that third quarter, which where the Cavs really made their money, you had a you, you got a nice not a comfortable lead in that first half. You had a nice nine point lead going into the half. You got you actually were winning a first half for once. And then third quarter you kind of kept uh, you know picked off where you left off. And then you kind of struggled in that second half of the third quarter. It's really where you really struggled in this game. And then the fourth quarter you, you both scored thirty points. Uh, it was 
The Cavs just hung in there most of this game, and they really made it close down the stretch. And this is what the Celtics team is. They're not good enough to really blow out many teams. Uh, I, you know, I assume for the Cavs or the Hornets, they'll blow out one of them. I mean, they blew out the Hornets, but they're not going to go out and blow out a lot of teams. There's going to be close games, but they're just a fun-to-watch team. They care. They're going to win a lot of those close games. They have so far this season. Uh, and then against the Hornets, you had Kemba's return. He was not great. Uh, I have the stat line here. Uh, let me take a look. Uh, 14 points, 6 assists, 33% for the field in 29 minutes. He was not very good. He also had like a steal, 2 rebounds. Uh, but all 14 points came in the second half. He started to really heat up, especially in that third quarter where he scored most of the, all of his points. Third quarter was good. But two easy teams, right? And Cleveland gave you some sort of a game. Uh, the Hornets really didn't. Hayward was still pretty good in this game. Got 10 boards on 20 points, 29 minutes. Tatum at 23. Uh, Jalen Brown's return, he gets 12. Walker, again, at 14. Uh, Javante Green, 12 points. I know a lot of those were in garbage minutes, but he had, like, that great dunk. He was running the baseline really well. He was good in this game. I'll give you that. Then he had Terry Rozier, who's facing you, you again. He, was, he, he wasn't good. Okay, he, it says here he has three points, but I think he might have had four because I remember he had uh, a layup and then he had like a little baseline jumper. So I think it, I'm getting this off Google. I do have some of the stats like off my phone and stuff here, but mostly stats I get off are Google and sometimes it's a little invalid, but for the most part, it's accurate. Uh, but I know that I think I'm pretty sure he didn't have three points. There. I remember he had a baseline jumper and it wasn't an end one. So. But he still, nonetheless, was bad in this game. He also had sloppy passes. Uh, Miles Bridges wasn't bad, though. He had 18 points and 10 boards. P.J. Washington, uh, four points. Uh, I wanted to see what he could do. He's one of the really only headlines on that team. You know who did good for them? Devontae Graham had 15 points and nine assists. He was very good. And um, Cody Martin. I know he only had seven points, but he was just dunking the ball. I mean, he was cutting to the hoop. That guy's got athleticism. I remember he was on Nevada, the Martin brothers. I picked Nevada to go to the Final Four. They lost in the first round, so I remember him. But he's making a name for himself in the NBA here. His brother, Caleb Martin's on the team. He only played six minutes at a point and a rebound. You got the Martin brothers. Cody's definitely better than Caleb. Uh, but I would say the players that I was impressed with from the Hornets were Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham. Other than that, no one really impressed me. I thought Cody Martin gave me a little bit of a showing the vet Marvin Williams had a few nice takes to the basket. Dwayne Bacon had a few nice shots. But overall, like, really had a good all-around game with Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham. Other than that, I mean, the Hornets seems bad. They are bad. Uh, they, I mean, just really. They shot six for 31 from three. Ooh. Yeah, the, ew, that's bad. Ooh, that. Yeah, that's not, that's not good. Uh, but they didn't even really hang in there. They hang, hung in there somewhat for about a half, and, and then it was over. Uh, it was just, you know, the Cavs game was interesting. The Hornets game didn't really, you know, have me glued to my seat by any means. It's the Hornets. You know, you had Kemba's return. That was nice. But I am okay with that. You picked up the win. You got the Spurs tonight at 5. Uh, that's coming up in less than an hour uh, from when I'm doing this. 4.08 right now. Uh, but the Celtics, I know it was only two games. Not really too much to really read into there. But I figured I'd touch up on them. Gordon Hayward, I mean, can he keep this up? I think he can. Uh, we saw last season, I mean, out of the All-Star break, he had a great three-game stretch, and after that, he was just a dud. I need to see this continue. I need to see this progress really continue. I mean, this season, he's playing like an All-Star so far. Um, let me, I'm just typing in, like, what are his stats overall in the season. I know he's been uh, good this season, but I want to see what his 
uh, average stats here. All right, so this season he's played seven games, obviously, and then he's got uh, where are the minutes per game? Thirty three point six minutes a night. In most of these games where he's uh, scored, you know, 39 and 20, he's getting like 32, 31, 29 minutes. So it's less than his average. Uh, 20.3 points per game, two turnovers, 4.6 assists, uh, 0.7 steals, 0.1 blocks, seven rebounds a game. Uh, no, 7.9 rebounds a game. He's been aggressive on the boards. Shooting 84% from the charity stripe. He's shooting 44% from three. I think that number will go down a little bit. 56% from the field, that number will go down a little bit. Uh, on 14 shots a night, that's good to see. I like that. Uh, that's, yeah, I, I think if he can maintain a 20-point-per-game if he can get a 20-point-per-game season, his efficiencies aren't wretched, which I doubt they will be. They're very good right now. He's, he's on tap for a good day, a productive season. I'll be happy because I, I wasn't sure, like, where's Gordon Hay- what is Gordon Hayward going to do? We know he has all-star potential. He's only made one all-star game in his career, which is crazy to think about. But we know he has all-star potential. He's the potential to be an all-star player. Or he has the potential to do what he did last season, not play like a top 100 NBA player. So he's a big wild card coming to the season. But so far, he's played uh, good enough to really prove that he's worth this contract. Uh, when you signed him from the Jazz, he was putting up 22 points per game, uh, and that was when he's 26. So I think this year, if I if when we signed uh, Gordon Hayward and you told me predict what he'll do in the 2019-2020 season, I would predict there are at least 21.5 points per game. But you know he gets the injury now. It's you know okay if he can score 19 points per game for this team, 18 points per game, we're good. I'd like 20. You know, right now he's at 20.3. If he can maintain this, maybe it's a little more inefficient. We're good. I think he's going to cool down a little bit. I do. Especially the efficiencies. They're not going to be that good. But if he can maintain similar to this season, we're sitting in a good spot right now. I think Gordon Hayward's going to be an X factor for this team as the season progresses. It's clear Brad Stevens loves him. They want to run the offense through Gordon Hayward. Not all the time, but a good amount of the time. He knows the plays. Uh, he's one of the few veterans from last year's team that's on the team this year. He's a great player. He can run the offense. He's been under Brad Stevens' system for, you know, not only at the collegiate level, but now this is his third season with the Celtics, really second, but you know what I mean. Uh, but no, he's an X factor for this team. I think the Celtics can make a little bit of noise this year. NBA Finals, I don't count it out, but I doubt it happens. I do. But the East, I mean, the Bucs have struggled this season. Sixers have dropped a few straight. The East is not wide open, but it's more open for some of these teams like the Celtics, the Pacers, uh, the Nets even, you know, just teams like that, the Heat. It's more open for teams like that than you'd think, believe it or not. You and the Heat, uh, the Raptors too are sitting kind of at the top of the East right now. Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka are hurt right now, so it's be, be interesting to see what they do without them. But thank you guys for listening. Uh, go follow me on Instagram at After the Brother Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces for podcast updates and sports content. Again, that's at After the Brother Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Also, go call him on the Anchor Mobile app, and he takes you have for me. Anything, any questions, anything you want to get to. Uh, so thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you guys next time. 